Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. I am so appreciative of you tuning into the broadcast, and I certainly hope that this is a blessing to you. And I do want to let you know that this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church, but if you would like to support this ministry, we certainly would be happy to receive any type of blessing that you could provide to us because uh, there are some costs involved in recording and, and in broadcasting. And so if you'd like to uh, give, you can give online to this ministry. You just go to the website for Hickory Ridge Community Church. It's actually hrcc7.org. If you just Google in that or if you Google in Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Our website should come up and just click on Give Online and there's an opportunity for you to designate toward the broadcast and we certainly do appreciate that. We don't like to talk a whole lot about money because this is a ministry of our church, but uh, it's kind of like my ministry of a chaplain. And uh, as chaplains, we always kid around and says, well, we don't do what we do for the money, but without the money, we can't do what we do. Uh, So it does cost a little money to do anything, as you know. And I know the price of gas is going right through the roof and the cost of everything's going up. Inflation is running rampant. And uh, we have discovered that personally as a church. And uh, we're in the middle of an endeavor to build another building. And the cost of that building has gone up $70,000 since November of 2021. And so we understand the, uh, the whole process of seeing things go up. But listen, God's work done God's way will always have God's resources. And so we're trusting him. And uh, we appreciate you listening online or listening on this broadcast on the radio station. You can also download our podcast through Buzzsprout, through Spotify podcast, through Google podcast, through Apple podcast. You can listen to our Sunday morning service at 1030 online. Just go back to our website and uh, you can listen online and you can listen to past services. And we just love to have you tune in. And we thank you so much for being connected with us. Well, today is part two on talking about liberty. And I've entitled this message, Give Me Liberty or I'll Die. And uh, it's kind of a play on words, to be honest with you, because if you know your American history, uh, you may have remembered reading about a guy by the name of Patrick Henry. Now, Patrick Henry was a famous statesman. Uh, He was an orator during colonial Virginia. And in 1764, He was elected to the House of Burgesses, where he became a champion, and he became a champion on the frontier of people supporting their rights and their rights against the excessive power of the British government. And in 1774, uh, he was a delegate to the First Continental Congress, and in 1775, he was at the Virginia Provincial Convention, and uh, and we see that we were deeply divided as a nation. And uh, you know, one thing about American history, if you've ever studied it, Uh, You discover that we've always been a country that it seems like we've been deeply divided. But he gave this very famous speech, and he said this, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now, these words almost sound like what Joshua spoke of in the Old Testament, where he says, whether serving other gods is profitable for you or not, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, during the Revolutionary War, Patrick Henry became commander-in-chief of Virginia's military forces. He was a member of the Second Continental Congress at that time, and he helped to draw up the first constitution of the Commonwealth of Virginia. 
He was largely responsible for drawing up the amendments to our Constitution known as the Bill of Rights. He became Virginia's first governor and was re-elected four times. Then he retired from public life, but despite his strong objections, the people went ahead and re-elected him for governor for the fifth time. But he meant what he said, so he refused to take the office. He was offered a seat on the U.S. Senate and post as an ambassador to Spain and to France. President George Washington asked him to join his cabinet and become his secretary of state and, and later wanted to appoint him as the chief justice of the Supreme Court, but he refused all such honors and recognitions. Listen to the words from him. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his last will and testament, it's filled with, and it's actually in the Brookdale County Courthouse in Virginia. And as you read his will, you see that he bequeathed everything to his children, uh, just as most people do. But the last paragraph in his will is especially interesting. This is what he wrote. I have now given everything I own to my children. There is one thing I wish I could give them, and that is Christ. Because if they have everything I give them and don't have Christ, they have nothing. Oh, I have the same prayer for my children. Oh, I can give them some blessings financially, and I think we should leave an inheritance for our children. I'm not opposed to that. But more importantly than leaving them wealth, we should leave them Christ. We're talking today about our liberty that we can find in Christ. We talked about there's two types of people in the world, those who walk by faith, faith in Christ, and those who walk according to the law, trying to keep the law, trying to better themselves by living under the law. Listen, we are walking by faith. Faith is what sets us free. As we think about this whole subject and the law versus grace or the law versus walking in faith, there are three purposes of the law. Now, the law is not useless, but the law, number one, is our servant teacher. It teaches us how to live according to God's plan. In Galatians 3.24, it says, in fact, the law was our instructor, our teacher. It was supposed to teach us until we had faith and we were accepted by God. Paul had this mind that the law is this tutor that we would go about and try to instruct our kids on the reasons, on the way to live right versus wrong. The Ten Commandments is a prime example for that. This is how we ought to live our lives. We should not kill somebody because life is sacred. We should not commit adultery because God has set aside marriage as a sacred union. As we think about the purpose of the law, it teaches us how to live, but it doesn't bring about freedom. Here's the second thing about the law. The law is intended to be our guard, to protect us, to protect us in life. Look what Paul said about the law in Galatians 3.24. He says, the law was our guardian, leading us to Christ so that we could be made right with God through faith. In other words, the law not only instructed us on how to live, but it also protected us in life. You know, it's a good way to live according to the Ten Commandments because it protects you. As you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God. The second uh, section, the last six commands of the Ten Commands, deal with our relationship with others. 
Why should we not lie to somebody? Because we don't want people lying to us. Why should we not kill somebody? Because we don't want somebody killing us. So the law is our guardian that protects us as we are leading in our relationship with Christ until we have faith in Christ. There's another purpose of the law. So the law is our servant teacher. The law is our protector, our guard. But number three, the law reveals our sin. Paul put it this way in Galatians 3, beginning at verse 9. He says, why then was the law given? It was given alongside with the purpose to show people their sins. I know that I'm a sinner because I have broken the law. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child was promised. God gave his law through the angels and to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. So God gives us the law so that we can know how to live, so that we can be protected until we receive Christ through faith. And also the law is intended to point out that we have broken the law. We are law breakers. Now, there's two responses that we can have to this law. Response number one would be conviction. Response number two would be guilt. Let's look at these two responses. As you hear a message, right? And as you hear God's word being proclaimed, it falls in these same two categories. You can either come under conviction or you can feel guilty. Let's look at the first one, conviction. Conviction is leading us to repentance and faith in Christ. Paul said in Galatians 3.22, But the holy writings, that's the word of God, say that all men are guilty of sin, that they which was promised might be given to those who put their trust in Christ, it will become their faith that is in him. So the Bible is given to us, the law is given to us, God's word is given to us, so that we are convicted of our sins. We feel this initial guilt, but it doesn't stop there. That guilt leads us to trust in Christ. Here's another way that Paul put it in Colossians 1.28. He says, so we continue to preach Christ to each person. You say, why in the world are you doing this broadcast? I am doing this broadcast so that I can preach Christ to you. I can give you all of God's wisdom from God's word to warn you and to teach you in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. You know, a measure of spiritual growth is conviction. Dictionaries usually define conviction as a fixed or a strong belief, like I'm convicted that I should do this or I shouldn't do that. You know, your conviction could include your values, your your commitments, your motivations. I like the definition that is given by Howard Hendricks. He says, a conviction is a belief that something that you're going to argue about A conviction is something that you will die for. Our convictions determine our conduct. They motivate us to act a certain way. So when you first became a Christian, you often would do things simply because other Christians around you suggested them or they modeled them. You may pray, you you may read the Bible, you may attend religious services, worship services, because you see the example of others. This is fine for a new Christian. Little children learn the very same way. However, as you grow, you must eventually develop your own reasons for doing what you do. Those reasons become convictions. Biblical convictions are essential for spiritual growth and maturity. In John 16, 8, it says, When He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world 
and will show where right and wrong and judgment lie. He will convict them in their wrong. You know, many years ago, I went through a, a devotional book by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. I highly recommend this. The language is kind of the older King James style language, but the lessons are powerful, right? Oswald Chambers said this, Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with men that bothers him, but his relationship with God. Listen, when you hear the message being proclaimed and you hear God's word being delivered, does it bring about conviction? That's a good thing. Does it allow you to line up with God? Have your life congruent with his life? Oh, that's a great conviction to have, that I am under the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get my life right as I listen to the preaching of the word. I become submissive submissive to the word of God. But you know, there's another response of the law. One would be conviction. The second would be guilt. Guilt is leading to more sin. In Romans 10, it says, in seeking to establish their own righteousness, they would not submit to the righteousness of God. Romans 5.30 says, now the law in them causes the trespasses to increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, when we don't live under God's law, we continue to trespass, and so we write more laws. You know, you think about the laws that we have in the United States. How many federal laws are there? Well, nobody knows for sure. In February of 2013, uh, nobody knew exactly how many laws there were uh, in the United States, but apparently the count is really high. And so they were trying to accumulate and add up all the laws that we have established over 200 plus years of history. When federal laws were first codified in 1927, they fit into one single volume. By the 1980s, there was 50 volumes of more than 23,000 pages each. And today, online resources say that no one knows exactly how many laws we have on the books. The Internal Revenue Code alone First codified in 1874, contains more than 3.4 million words. And if we printed 60 lines on each page, that would be more than 7,500 pages long. There are about 20,000 laws just governing the ownership of a gun. New laws mean new crimes. From the start of 2000 through 2007, Congress created at least 452 new crimes. As we think about that, the number of crimes is now in in the federal government, the number of federal crimes exceeds 4,450 crimes that we can commit. But many laws detract from rather than contribute to our quality of life and our overall well-being. You know, it's impossible for anyone to know all of the laws that affect them. Therefore, it's impossible to go through life without breaking laws. You know, as I think about all these laws, we can't keep these laws. These laws can lead us to to feel guilt. And, you know, the Bible is written to set us free from guilt. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. 
In Romans chapter 7, it says, That which is good, then, can bring death to me by no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul is reminding the Roman believers, and he reminds us today, that even good things can become things that hold us back. And we've got to look at the things that are really sins that are breaking the law. You know, I want you to know today that you can be set free from the wages of sin. You can be set free from all the the laws of not only uh, God's Word, but the laws of all of humanity. You can be set free by the power of the gospel. That's what the gospel is all about. I want to tell you about how you can be born again. You know, this is the most important thing that you must decide. I've told my children as they were coming through life, I said there's two decisions that you really don't want to miss or you don't, you don't want to make the wrong choice on. Number one is the decision of what you're going to do with Christ. What are you going to do with Jesus in your life? You know, no decision is a decision. You either accept him or reject him. You can't be neutral on that. You can't say, well, I'm going to do that at a later time. I'm going to think about that. You may not have a later time. The Bible talks about calling upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. The second most important decision is who are you going to spend the rest of your life with on this earth? Who are you going to marry, and are you going to have a relationship with Christ? I think those are the two most important decisions that you will make. There's a lot of things in life that you can make a decision on, and and you can go back, and, and you can fix that decision. But if you reject Christ, you have an eternity to really uh, feel the, the guilt of that and the shame of rejecting him. You'll be separated from him for eternity. Eternity is an awful long time. It's forever. If you marry the wrong person, you spend the rest of your life with regret. Oh, oh, God will forgive you of that. I'm not saying that's a, an unpardonable sin, but you can't eradicate the memories and, and the hurt that was caused. It's kind of like if I come up to you and I, and I slash you with a knife, and then I said, well, listen, I'm really sorry I slashed you with this knife, and and I said, I'll pay your medical bills, and, and you can go to the hospital, we'll get you stitched up, and we'll get you healed up, and I'll pay for any lost time that you may have lost at work, I'll compensate you for that, and, and then I'll give you some money for pain and suffering, because I know this is a, a major emotional ordeal to think that you, you've been slashed by somebody, and, and, I, and I'll pay for the pain and suffering. But you know, no matter how much I pay you, or no matter how I try to compensate you, you're always going to have a scar. You're going to always have that memory. You can't get past it. I want you to know, Christ loves you so much that he wants to have this relationship with you. You know, I was just six years old when I realized that I was lost, and I realized that I needed Christ to be my Savior, my Lord. In my life as a young six-year-old boy, I hadn't done a whole lot of major things wrong. I mean, I was your typical ADHD kid. I was constantly into some kind of trouble, uh, but it wasn't major things. Like I hadn't murdered anybody or, you know, I hadn't done any major crime, but I realized that I was a sinner. I realized that I needed to save you. Even as a young six-year-old kid, I realized that that without Christ, I wasn't going to go to heaven. I'll be honest with you. I prayed to receive Christ because I didn't want to die and go to hell. And I said, okay, I'm going to receive Christ because I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And uh, just as sincere as a six-year-old could be, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But I went through life making a, a lot of poor choices and going through my adolescent years and my early adulthood years, uh, lots of regrets, lots of bad decisions that I made, but God has been so gracious, and and it's one decision that I've never regretted. That is accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
I tell you what, I've disappointed my Savior many times. I know I have, but he's always forgiven me. He's always taken me back. He's never left me. He's never abandoned me. You know, throughout life, you can't get through life without somebody hurting you. People will hurt you. And the people that are closest to you are the ones that will often hurt you the most. But I want you to know something, that that the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll never hurt you. He'll never abandon you. He loves you unconditionally. You can never be so bad that he says, I'm done with you. You can never be so good that he thinks that you're better than anybody else. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, all 7 billion people on the planet. Now probably more like 8 billion people on the planet. God loved every single one of them. He made a way for them to escape judgment. He wants them to be free, free from the wages of sin, free from the consequences of sin, free from being eternally separated from God. Listen, it's made possible all because of Jesus Christ. Listen, that's the first step. The second step, once you know Christ as your Savior, if you really want to be free, you got to live in obedience, right? Obedience doesn't save you. Obedience is a sign or picture of your being changed. It's a symptom of being changed. You follow the Lord and believe his baptism. Listen, if you haven't been baptized, why don't you get baptized as soon as possible? If you give me a call at 757-421-7500, or if you shoot me an email at onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com, I'll explain to you what baptism is, and I'll even be involved in making sure that you get baptized. Listen, baptism is an outward symbol of an inward faith. You know, after you've been baptized and then you start living for the Lord, you start living in obedience. You start being involved in a local congregation. You find a church that is preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God, and you pour your life into that church. You know, God has called up the church. And the definition of church is we're a called out group of assembly. We're called out from the world called into the church. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And we are presented to Christ as spotless. And and the church is where we grow stronger in our faith. And there's five reasons that you need to be involved in the church. I'm going to give them to you real quick, okay? Number one is because that's where discipleship takes place. Oh, that's right. Uh, You become a disciple of Christ as you're doing it with other believers. We are called to be disciples of Christ. And it takes some discipline to do that, right? And so we go to church so that we can become a disciple of Christ. We also go to church, number two, because of fellowship. Oh, fellowship is so important, right? Because you need other people to help you on this journey. You were never meant to walk the Christian life by yourself. You need the fellowship of other believers. I need the fellowship of other believers. That's why I love getting together with my small group, because we fellowship together. Tonight, I'm having my small group, and we're going to have a meal together, and we're going to talk together. We're going to do a Bible study together. We're going to spend a lot of time fellowshipping together. Uh, So the first purpose of the church is discipleship, and number two is for fellowship, and then number three would be worship. As you gather together in your church, you worship. You know, God just inhabits the praise of his people. He loves when we gather together to worship. Now, when we gather together on Sunday, we sing and we worship one person, Jesus Christ. We don't worship the praise team. We don't worship the pastor. We don't even worship the congregation. We worship Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's all about him. So the third purpose of the church is worship. The fourth purpose of the church is evangelism, telling others about Jesus Christ. 
evangelism. That is a simple way of one man telling another man where the food is, right? One beggar telling another beggar where the food is. Evangelism is you sharing the gospel with somebody, me sharing the gospel with somebody, giving them the good news of salvation. Well, we talked about discipleship. We've talked about fellowship. We've talked about evangelism. We've talked about discipleship. Number five, the church is designed for an opportunity for us to be involved in ministry, serving one another. God has given us these wonderful gifts, and these gifts are to be used to be a blessing to others. We glorify God through our spiritual gifts, and we serve the body by the gifts that God has given us. Well, I hope this has been a blessing to you. If I can help you with anything, please feel free to call me or shoot me an email, heart at gmail.com. As we think about our freedom in Christ, if the Lord has set you free, you are free indeed. Don't go back to that life of guilt and shame, realizing that God has forgiven you. He has set you free. You have a new identity in Christ. You're no longer a slave of sin. You are free. Enjoy that freedom. Live in that freedom. So Lord, as we close at our time together, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We pray that we walk in the newness of this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his most precious name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.